Father, we love you tonight. We bless you. We thank you for your goodness. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, an understanding heart. And Lord, we just thank you for building us into who you called us to be, your witnesses. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed to say? Amen. Yeah. Okay. We're in Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be. Holy and number three, without blame. And without blame. M-O-M-A-S. And M-O-M-A-S is the word that is used for the perfect sacrifice. The one that has to be inspected for a month. That's, you have to look it over from, from head to toe. I mean, they, they had a checklist they had to walk through. And it had to be spotless. And so this is the, the word that is applied to us in Christ through the blood. Now, <clears throat> one of the interesting parts of God's purpose for these sonship gifts really opens up to us in First um, John chapter 3. And it opens up because it, it's very clear in what it says in uh, verses 18 to 21. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall persuade our heart before him. Now, it's interesting that the scripture says we need to persuade our heart or our spirit man. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So the whole process of these sonship, sonship gifts is really about one primary issue. And that primary issue is the condition of our heart. So as we embrace these, as we absorb these into our life, then the goal is no blame, no guilt, no shame. The result, confidence toward God. But it really goes beyond that. Because it, it really goes, I think, to a, a principle that all of us are familiar with. And, and uh, that is, how do we transform ourselves into the image and likeness of Christ? And the answer is, we start by absorbing these gifts. Because... These gifts were given for a purpose, and they're progressive. Chosen, he chose us. I mean, we're told that in Second Timothy. Before the foundation of the earth, he chose us and ordained the generation we would contribute to. And Acts 17 says that we have a specific contribution in our generation. I mean, it actually, when you look it up in the Greek, the construction of the Greek is one of the most unusual in Scripture in Acts 17. And in this uh, one verse, as a matter of fact, since I'm getting that specific, I might as well go find it. Uh, if I recall, I think it's about 26, Acts 17. 
And here's what it says. 24. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. 26. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times boundaries. Two things were pre-appointed when you were created. The time you were going to live in and the boundary you were going to occupy. Times, boundaries. When you look it up in the Greek, the thing that, that just uh, absolutely flies off the page is, is the uh, construction and the aorist participle is not later in time than made verb. Translation, God chose... What determined our creation was God's choice of two things. The generation that needed our contribution and the nation that needed our contribution. We were created to make a specific contribution at a specific time in history in order to change, harvest, reap, so, a specific nation or nations. Now, I want you to think about that. We were customized for this season. Before the foundation of the earth and the heart of God in our creation... You and I were customized for this season. Now, if you take that principle and build on it, I'll tell you where it takes me. It's not just the issue of blameless. We, we learned something unique about blameless last night. It, well, first of all, it only appears seven times in the whole New Testament. Blameless. But where it appears and what it leads to is what's stunning. Because in Ephesians, the second appearance in Ephesians 5 assigns the men so blamelessness in your congregation, in your family, in your generation, start treating people the way Christ treats you. Now, if you will take that on as a man in your generation, it's, it's a, it starts out as a man assignment. You start treating people blameless even though you know they're not. Treat them blameless. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Call them up to their, their highest position in Christ in the way you treat them. And God says, I will bring it back to you in the women in birthing the terror of the Lord. That to me was the most stunning thing I've found so far concerning the progression of these sonship gifts. Is that blameless, number three. You're chosen, you're holy, number three. You are blameless. It's the key to birthing the fear of God. We don't have it in the church right now. We don't have it in the nation. It's got to come to the church first. It is the end-time anointing. We found that in Isaiah 2. 
To the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Five times we're told in our Bible. Three in Isaiah 2. Once, 2 Corinthians 5.11. The fourth time. Fifth time. Hebrews 12. I will yet one more time shake heaven and earth that the kingdom which cannot be shaken may remain, may be visible, may rise to the surface. And you were customized. I'm standing in, in the midst of a group of people who were customized for this season. Your DNA was made for this season. Your spiritual DNA was customized by God himself for this season. So you and I need to get over whatever lack we think we have. And we need to face the call square on that's on our life for this season right now. And, and that call is beyond anything else that I can find any other generation faces in Scripture. When, when you start out as a witness in Acts 1-8... Stay in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. You and here it comes. And then here comes Jesus. He's just about ready to ascend. You are my witnesses. And then we go over to Revelation 11, 3, 4, 5, 6, and find out there are two olive trees of the Gentile believers. There's there the, uh, the uh, Jewish believers, who, uh, and they all have to walk through the same door. But they're the two olive trees. And all of a sudden... You begin to face up with the fact, uh oh. I, it's now becoming clear what I was created for. I was created to stand up in the face of the greatest adversity of any generation so far. Because when I read Revelation 11, that's what I see. That last seven years, three and a half, three and a half, and it's on. And you can't kill the witnesses until they're ready to lay their life down. These are a people fearless in the face of evil. Do we have anybody here for the first time who hadn't been here the last couple of times? I'm going to recommend a movie for you. AOC Network, Google it. AOC Network, Two Witnesses, movie. AOC. AOC Network, Two Witnesses, movie. All right, it'll help solidify this. But now... There is an issue here. We were created for something. The question is, I mean, for those of us who have been baptized our whole life in uh, rapture, escape, I'm out of here. I mean, it sounds great, but it's crock. Just to be blunt. God's got to have witnesses in the midst of this deal that turn people to him. Tag your it. So here we go. How do we get from where we are right now 
to what we were created for. There's a process. It's a biblical process. And it's a, and David walked it before us. David is our example. I think one of the best examples in, in all of Scripture in how you get there is King David. And the, the reason, well, let's, let's just go look at it. Cause that's, I, I actually wanted to transition tonight from blamelessness into adoption. And I felt like the Lord was saying, no, I want you to unfold a path, a biblical path that everybody can see in how we grow into this. How we go from where we are right now and just flush all the background stuff. How we start right here, embrace that future. Okay, I'm going to face martyrdom. Then I need to build a shield. Right now, I need to build an impenetrable shield that nobody can get through. How do I do that? How do I build an impenetrable shield? How did King David build one? You tell me, who's the greatest warrior of all time in Scripture? Bar none, hands down. David. And a man after God's own heart. You didn't stand in front of David long. You either died or ran. That's the picture of the church in the last days. You either run in terror and eventually turn or you die. Not David. Well, I don't, I don't see how you interpret it any other way. If you're a witness and know, and anybody who wants to kill you, they're the ones that die with fire that comes out of your mouth. You don't die, they die. There is no killing you until you're finished with your race. That'll make you change how you think. We need to change how we think. Not only that, it will make us go back to the book and say, God, have you, is there any school that points us how we grow up into this? You better believe there is. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And it's not rocket science. And a five-year-old kid can get it. Because men and women have walked it before us. Hallelujah. And we are going to walk it. We are going to walk it and hopefully point our kids and our grandkids. I mean, I'm pretty convinced at this uh, stage, my whole contribution is going to be to my kids and my grandkids. And say, look, your dad laid his life down to pioneer something. Now, you better get it because I'll save you 30 years and a whole lot of grief. Your choice. But you see these hands? I will not shed one tear if you walk away from God. I am not fooling with you, and I am not playing games, and neither is God. You get your lazy butt in gear, and you start pursuing the king. Period. And I won't call you. I won't even look your direction. You want to walk away from God? I got a family. I'll tell you where my brothers are. I'll tell you where my kids are. They're in the churches where I go. They're the people who do the will of God. They do the word. That's my family. And Jesus is the one who defined them as such. Now, if you want to walk out of your inheritance, adios. 
I'm walking this direction and I will not look back. And I'm not going to shed a tear if, if you decide to go your own direction. I know that's tough. That's tough love. You can get that way. And then sometimes quicker than others. All right. What is this? How do we get from where we are to that place? Hallelujah. Thank God for a Bible that points us in that direction if we connect the dots. So since we're starting with King David, we're going to go to Second Samuel. Why not? Hallelujah. Second Samuel chapter 5. Praise the Lord. Good old King David. Now, man, he walked this. He walked this out. Second Samuel. Well, in chapter 5, David gets anointed to reign. Hallelujah. And let's pick it up in verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David said on that day, Whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he should be chief and captain. Therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So David dwelt in the stronghold. There is another English word that fits much better than stronghold. Fortress. Fortress. Everybody say fortress. There is a fortress to be built in here. It is possible to build a biblical fortress in here. You can become a biblical fortress in your generation here. King David did. Now, look at this. Because a lot of people want a shortcut, and there is no shortcut. So David dwelt in the fortress, stronghold, and called it the city of David. Then David built all around from Milo and inward. He started with the outer wall, and then he built inward. He built this fortress inward, inside. He, he selected the outer periphery, and then he started building inside. That's the reason why God pointed this to me. He said, look at it, it's a pattern. If you will build inside first, it leads you somewhere. If you build the fortress in here, 
it leads you somewhere, and it leads you to the same place it led King David. So David went on and became great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. There it is. There's the picture. If you build inside, you're constructing a spiritual fortress in here, and God will be with you, and you cannot help but do and accomplish great things, great feats. You know, it seemed I read somewhere in Daniel, those who know their God will be strong and do exploits, great things. Well, right here is how it starts. Starts right here. Second Samuel chapter 5. King David, he built inside and he went on to do great things. And don't tell me that that is not a picture. Do you know how often a, a guy in a traveling ministry gets invited to do a uh, Easter service in a church? Never. Because for a pastor, that's time with his, his family. We're going to Christy Wimber's church at this time, three years ago. She is on a trip in England, and all of a sudden things take off, and they're demanding that she stay another week. She calls me and says, will you take the Easter service? And I thought, God, I haven't done an Easter service since I was in Pasadena pastoring. That's been 35 years. Okay, I'll take it. God, what do you want to say? I mean, I don't have any notes to go back to. I haven't done one of those in so long. I can't even remember the last one I did. So, man, I'm... God, what do you want to say? Man, never, this just happened three years ago. And I thought, you know, it, Lord, what are you doing? I, this never happens. And... Uh, you want to know how many weeks the church lasted after I preached this message? You know, what do you do when those are your experiences? Golly, I mean, it's no wonder you don't have very many of them. Nobody can survive it. (laughs) And that's the whole truth. So I'm praying, God, what do you want to say to people? He took me to Luke 24 and the road to Emmaus. And he, he said, now look at verse 19. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Now, that is exactly what was said of Moses. He was mighty in word and deed. And do you know who had to write in Scripture that he was the most humble man 
He did. He had to write that. <laughs> He's the meekest man on earth. I am what I am. <laughs> he had to pencil that. God gave it to him. He said, say this about yourself. Now, I imagine he probably resisted just a little bit, but he did it. He wrote it down just the way God gave it to him. See, that's the issue of, of walking with God. The issue of walking with God is we're here to do what he says. We're here to fulfill what his purpose is, to find it, commit ourselves to it. And you start building that inside. You build that in here, and the Lord is with you. And you cannot help but do great things. Oh, there's no way around it. I mean, it's inevitable. You can't stop it. If you will build inside, would you smile at somebody and say, if you will build inside, you will do great things. You cannot help it. And and that was the word that morning to that congregation. God has chosen you in this generation. He wants to make you mighty in word and deed to reflect Jesus to a culture who doesn't know him. That's that's what the path we're on. Your head, God's determined. He's going to demonstrate who He is, and He's going to do it through the church. So mighty in word and deed, that is in your future if you'll embrace it. But is there a price? Oh yeah, you got to build inside. You have to build inside. You build obedience. You build a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You build time in the Word. You you build discipline. I mean, you can't do what everybody else does if you build inside. Because you have to walk a relationship of obedience with the Holy Spirit. Well, since we're in Second Samuel, then go over to 22. Second Samuel. That's assuming you didn't turn with me to Luke 24. Oh, but you did. All right. Well, in that case, back up. <laughs> Hallelujah. Second Samuel 22. Pick it up in verse 1. Then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my... Now, fortress. 22. Second Samuel 22, verse 1. See, Second Samuel 22, verse 1. Oh, by the way, Second Samuel 22 has a repeat. It's called Psalm 18. Now, here we are. See, we just read where David started. He didn't have a capital yet. I mean, Jerusalem was occupied by the Jebusites. And, I mean, they mocked him and said, there's no way you can take Jerusalem. The lame and the blind will keep you out of here. David said, watch me. Because David built inside, the Lord was with him. Now think about David in his life. He's the youngest, and he's got all these brothers. Now can you imagine sitting around the table with these older brothers, and here's David out with the sheep, and they're all talking about how their day went. How'd your day go, David? Well, it was kind of unique. Something that never happened before happened. 
What was that? A lion came out after the flock. So what would you do, run up on the hill? No, I ran toward the lion. Then what? I hit him right in the nose and killed him. <laughs> yeah, BS. Now you tell me, any older brother going to believe that around your table? And you're the kid? You're the teenager? How about the day he came in after the bear? What'd you do? Well, I hit him in the stomach and then in the nose. (laughs) And he died right there. Now, what do you think Dad was thinking? Oh, no. Where did you put the bear? Where's the skin? Prove it. Prove it. Hey, David, next time you have one of these wild escapades, take the head off and bring it back with you. (laughs) 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 Prove it. So David goes out after Goliath, and what's the first thing he does when he fails him? He's proven it to his brothers and his family. It's just another day at the office when you build inside and God is at your right hand. David built a fortress inside. Now, church, that's what we're looking at doing tonight. How do we do that? And what do we do that with? And look what he says. We're not done here. And he said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, the God of my strength, in him I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord as worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Man, it has become a life pattern for this guy. Starting with a lion, starting with a bear. I mean, it is now a life pattern because God led him to build inside. And so he's got this position with God. God is at his right hand. He won't go to war until he checks. Do we go? Do we don't go? Wait till you hear the breeze in the top of the mulberry trees. When you hear the breeze, go to war. Because the angels have gone before you. You can't help but be victorious in that kind of a relationship. When you build that in here. Now, David learned that as he walked Under the anointing of the Spirit. I mean, it it was relational. It had to be. It had to be relational. And, you know, I want to go from here just straight over to Psalm 18. And, I mean, there's there's one more line in Psalm 18 than you find here. So, Psalm 18 expands by one line on what we just read. Psalm 18, verse 1. Or, I'm sorry, the, the, uh, the, what we just read is one more line than Psalm 18. Psalm 18 condenses it a little bit. 
I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who's worthy be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. All right. So what do we know now when, when we're looking at this and, and uh, we are looking at King David and watching how he's, he functions in this. He, God teaches him, David, build your stronghold inside. So he practices on Jerusalem. But he's really doing in Jerusalem what God has taught him to do inside. And now the victories come, one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. There is a consistent string of victory, and it just keeps on coming. Hallelujah. You know, most of us are very familiar with Psalm 91, are we not? Psalm 91. We all know Psalm 91. I wonder, is is there a, a line in there about fortress? He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, that's verse 1, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. What do we see consistently about King David? From the time of the first major city, Jerusalem, home, he's building inside. And now all of his victories, he's lifting his hands and thanking God for being his inner fortress, his Savior, his Deliverer. God, you taught me how. To be victorious. You taught me how to walk. You establish a table before me in the midst of my... Nobody does that but you. You say, walk up in the middle of your enemy and sit down. Walk up in the middle of your enemy and turn around and challenge him. So what does David's mighty men do? They march out in the middle of a field in the midst of all these Philistines and say, come take it if you can. And then they kill them all. It was contagious. It was covenantal. David's mighty men caught that relationship and I believe learned to build in here. And they started doing the same mighty things that David did. Church, I hear God calling us let me show you how to build for victory in the last days. Let me show you how to build where I am continually at your right hand. Oh, man. You know what that looks like? <laughs> that looks like people are, are either going to turn and say yes to Jesus or they're going to run. Because they can't kill you. That's their only option. Through the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Did Paul learn this? Did Peter learn this? Well, the fruit says they did. 
says God taught him. Walk them through it. Hallelujah. And guess what we get? We get something they didn't. The former and the latter in the same season. We get a double taste of what they started the church age with. Man, you've got to ask yourself, what does that look like? And get in front of a mirror when you ask it. All right, God, what does that look like? It looks like you when God comes out like King David. It's got your face when God comes out like King David. Now, can we find this in Scripture? Can we find this inner fortress? Can we find this place? You tell me. Just now, peruse your um, shoot. Use your memory. Go back through the twelve from the time they're called. For three and a half years, these guys are having an uh, inner struggle with each other over one issue, because you see them over and over again. Fighting over who has the greatest ministry. They're even doing it the night of the Last Supper. Yep. <laughs> Luke 22. But that's, that's three and a half years of bickering. God Almighty. You can almost imagine Jesus saying, I'm about to give up on this. This, this is crap off times 10. This is not working. God, where do we go from here? And the Lord says, hey, wash your feet. So in John 13, what Jesus does is wash their feet. Now, but before we go over and into, because there's a progression there from 13 to 14. And, and uh, what, what I want you to do is go uh, over to... to um, Acts 2. Acts 2. Hallelujah. Acts 2, yeah, this Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Pick this up in verse 14. Now, how many of you were here for Sunday school? Let me see. All right, put your memory on because we're going to strike something here. That, that became the kind of the center focus of uh, what the Holy Spirit brought up in Sunday school and kicked off this whole weekend. I mean, really. I mean, just, you know, that's the thing I love about the Holy Spirit. He starts, I mean, we never talked about what I was going to bring. We had no idea. But the Holy Spirit brought up in Sunday school... When God shakes the earth, what does that look like? Will we be shaken? Will we? And, and that was the question we were wrestling with. Right? Oh, yeah. Smile at someone and say, build inside. Build a fortress inside. King David did. He had that fortress in here. 
That carried him all the way through. All right, look at Acts chapter 2. Pick it up in, uh, let's see, verse 14. Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass. Now, why is this important? Well, this is the witnesses. This is Revelation 11. This is what we're called to do. We have come to this season right here. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above. Signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Anybody do that to the sun? Make it dark for three days? No, no, not yet, no. Historically, in the Bible... Yeah, somebody did that in the Bible. His name was Moses. He did it in Egypt, all right? <laughs> Hallelujah. The sun should be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming and great and notable day of the Lord. Man, these are all dramatic judgments that are manifested in the heavenlies. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You talk about great works. Those are great works. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you. Through miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in the midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands. You have crucified, put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible they should hold him. For David says concerning him, circle verse 25. That's where we are, verse 25. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. Who's talking? King David. Who built the inner fortress? King David. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Oh, my. Really? When you and I build an inner fortress, the earth can start falling apart, but... Because you built an inner fortress and because God is at your right hand, you're the one with the answers. You're the one that points people to God. Because you've already built the kingdom that cannot be shaken inside. It's in here. That's where John 14 comes... Jesus couldn't promise what the guys wanted in John 14 until he demonstrated in 13, look, you've got to love and serve each other. That's the only way you can build this thing inside of you. And so that's what he did in John 13. All right? And and that's because they're still fighting. In Luke 22, at the Last Supper, they can't discern the betrayer in their midst, because they're battling out over who's got the greatest ministry. Oh, man. I mean, these guys were hopeless. 
almost dead to walk through total failure. Look at verse 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, because Jesus said, hey, guys, look, I'm leaving. I'm going away. Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, you will lay down your life for my sake? Really? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow three times till you deny me. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many Monet. Now, 14.2. Write Monet. M-O-N-A-Y. Monet. It means a place of relationship with the king. A, a place of physical relationship with the king. It's not a mansion you and I are going to get. Well, you know, it's probably pretty nice if the streets are gold. I'd say there's probably some mansions up there. I'm not trying to take away your mansion and have it. This is not what Jesus is talking about. These guys have been fighting over who has the greatest ministry. And what Jesus is telling them is, look, I'm creating a place, a ministry, a call for your life. Nobody can take it from you. Nobody else. You can't fulfill his call. He can't fulfill your call, you are two different people. You were customized before the foundations of the earth to fulfill what God called you to do. You don't ever have to fight for your ministry, ever. Because God guarantees you nobody can take it from you. Now, you know guys are building their own kingdom when they're trying to fight for their own ministry. They're already on the wrong path. They haven't built it in. They're trying to build it out. They're building it in the wrong place. Man, you build it here. (laughs) Here. In relationship where you stand with the unseen God at your right hand. And you train yourself. Hear that inner voice. And act. Because when you do that, God shows up to do great things. I've seen a few. I expect to see a lot more. Oh, church, you realize what we're talking about? We're talking about an anointing to put people in the grave who won't turn. That's Isaiah 11. The breath of of your lips will slay the wicked. That's a place to walk with God. Now, if that were operational, I'd volunteer to go to D.C. Hello. Holy cow. I wish you guys would quit fooling around so we could finish this. All right, now look at this. I go to prepare, 14.2, a place for you. And if I go prepare a place, a physical place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The Lord is at my right hand, David said. Jesus said, look, I'm going to build a place for you, and I'm coming back. And where I go, you know, and the way you know, and uh, I am the way. Um, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. Okay, uh, uh, jump over to uh, 16. 
And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. He will abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither uh, sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. Twenty. At that day, you will know that I'm in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them... It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not a scare, said to him, Lord, how is it you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home, Monet, with him. Monet, same Monet that you see over in verse 2. Monet, I'm going to the Father. I'm preparing a place for you. Nobody else can have that place. It's got your gifting. It's got your calling. It's got your anointing. Nobody can take it from you. I'm creating that place. Now, I'm coming. The Father and I are coming back, and we are going to stand at your right hand. King David, you're resurrected in you. Mighty in word and deed. It's a physical place. Yeah, it's a fortress. It's a fortress. It's Jerusalem. It's a temple. It's a fortress. My God is a fortress. A mighty fortress is our God. Oh, man. How does this thing work? Well, all right, let's go look at it. Proverbs 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4. Here it is. Proverbs chapter 4. Now, what did we find out last night about the word over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23? Last night, 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23. The word is... Been a lot of hot sauce since last night, I can tell. <laughs> ah, shoot. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. What makes the Word different? What makes the Bible different than any other book? It's alive. The word that I speak to you is life. It is alive. It's living. It's living incorruptible seed. It is made for a spirit. And there's only three ways you can sow this seed. You either have to read it, you have to hear it, or you have to speak it in your own heart. That's the only way you can get it in there. Now... Why do you do it? Because that's how you construct a fortress. You say, where is that? Right here in Proverbs chapter 4. Right here. Proverbs 4. Look at it. My son, verse 20, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, 
their life to those that find them, health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it sprang thee. Totsah. Issues of life. It's tra- 25 times this is translated. 15 of the 25, it's the borders, the boundaries. It's a living wall. It's a fortress. You build your own walls of the fortress inside you with a word. And when that word comes out, it establishes physical borders and boundaries. So when the accuser of the brethren launches an arrow at you, if you built your wall, bounces off and falls to the ground. It dies at the wall. It dies on the wall of the fortress you constructed out of your own mouth. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. And those that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Proverbs 18. Oh, wait a minute. Hold your place right here. Go to Proverbs 18. Now, I'll tell you what. The very first scripture my wife taught me was Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I actually went to the Bible to see if it was early in there. I kept hearing it so much. Complaining about this, complaining about it. 29 when we got married, it's kind of settled my ways. <laughs> Lo and behold, it was in the Bible. And the two verses right above it changed my life. Because the two verses above it, 20. And 21, a man's stomach shall be, Hebrew word, saba, satisfied from the fruit of his mouth and from the produce of his lips, he shall be saba. Same word, filled or fulfilled. Now, what that says is the first thing you and I do, if we do not feel fulfilled, and right now we know God's got a whole lot more and we haven't found it yet. Change what you're saying. Start, and and that takes us then back. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That takes us back to Proverbs 4. Okay, how does this thing work? Verse 20, my son, give it, attend to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Their life to those who find them, health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out, out of it comes a wall, builds a fortress establishes a border and a boundary. Father, it is written, I am blameless. And boy, I speak that, I declare that, and all of a sudden, I can't tell how. You know, there's a mystery in the kingdom. Mark 4. The mystery of the kingdom. What is the mystery of the kingdom? It's It's all about one principle, how you deal with blame, shame, and guilt. The mystery of the kingdom, when you see it, removes your blame, shame, and guilt. If you don't see it, you'll live the rest of your life. Why are you looking at me like that? All right. Hold your place here. Go go over to Mark chapter 4. Oh, I know why. I'm defining it in a different way than you've heard it defined. That's why. All right, Mark chapter 4, verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. All right, we know this. We've read this. We're, we're familiar. Uh, four kinds of soil. Wayside. 
stony, thorny, good soil. All right, but now, what did you... Okay, uh, they, once they go inside, hey, what did you mean by that parable? But uh, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve, ask him about the parable. He said to them, to you it has been given, verse 11, Mark 4, 11, to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn. Okay, if they never turn, they never get free from blame, shame, and guilt. The mystery of the kingdom is all about Christ and His blood who delivered us from blame, shame, and guilt so that you build an internal fortress against all the lies, deceptions, every word, every accusative word that the enemy launches at us. If we build that internal wall, it hits, falls off. And now, what is the rest of this? I mean, look look what Jesus says here. And their sins be forgiven him. And he said to them, Do you not understand the parable? How then can you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. All right, so if you believe the word, and if you guard your soil, and if, when you find out you've got stony ground, then you pull the stones out. If you find out you've got thorny ground, it's choking the word, then you deal with the thorns. All right, so what you convert your ground so it's all good. Wayside is soil that hadn't been plowed. Now, see, most of us, every one of us have good ground. There's some that's stony, some that's thorny. I mean, it's all in there. We just usually, until we deal with the stones and thorns, and it gets converted to good ground, it's still, it has a goal, and the goal is to choke off that word, to choke it from ever coming to fruition, from ever becoming an internal fortress on the inside of you, so you can do the great things that God has ordained for you in the last days. And man, I'm telling you, it's beyond what any generation has seen, even Moses. It doubles what Moses saw. How you get there? You build that internal fortress. It is written, I'm chosen. It is written, I'm holy. It is written, I'm blameless. Brick by brick by brick by brick by brick. Internal fortress. And when that accusation comes, falls to the ground. And now, because you built that fortress inside, and because you were willing to deal with stones and thorns, your heart, because you have no accusation, no blame, no shame, no guilt, you have confidence toward God, you are able to germinate the incorruptible seed that says, I will give power to my two witnesses. They will stop the heavens from rain. They will turn water into blood. They will strike the earth as often as they desire. And if anybody wants to kill them, fire. A fiery anointing comes out of their mouth and paralyzes, does something to their enemies. 
may kill them, may not, may just paralyze them. Try to get them saved. I mean, the whole goal here is to get people saved. It's not to put them in the grave. That's the goal. And and God, what, what God is saying, I'm going to give you full access to my judgment. Man, I'm parking it in those hands. I'm going to trust you with it. Build your fortress. I know it's easy to relax. It's easy to get an autopilot. It's hard to be consistent with this. But it's the only way to make sure the Lord, he's already prepared that place for us. And we were talking about that today. And uh, you want to, I mean, it's a perfect time to do a little team ministry and tell them what you're experiencing on that subject. I'm looking for the mic. Here it is. I mean, and you're you're the one that flipped that switch on the inside of me today. Well, we were we were talking, and I I found this place before we went on vacation, and I had been going in and out of that thing. Uh, it was first spoken about by Moses, and we, we and I've I've preached about it a little bit, but when Moses after they failed, and uh, I mean they complete disaster, Moses up. The bet, double down on it, and said, "So show me your glory." And God said, "He said that He would show him His glory." But the first thing He told him was, "There is a place by Me. You can come and be by Me, and uh, and then I will show you My glory, and then I will cover you with My hand." And I I found that place. I never have seen that before. I mean, I've been working with God for a long time. But I hit that spot. And when I hit that spot, everything changed with me. I could I could look at people and it didn't matter what I thought about them, good or bad. When it came time for for God to use me with them, all I could all that mattered to me was what he said. And sometimes it would be along the line of what I thought, sometimes it would be exactly the opposite, but it didn't matter. Because I was, I was, I was hidden in Him, right by Him, and it's an amazing scripture. He said, "Okay, you want to see my glory, but the first thing, come to this place by me, and I will cover you." And then, then it says in the next chapter, and God came down and stood by Moses. That blew me away even more. Really, that God would come down to a man. At a man's level, and stand next to him, and then he began to proclaim the name of the Lord, and he proclaimed all the good things about God. He's merciful. He's gracious. He loves us unending. All these things about God, the fullness of his, of who He is, and in the very last that He said, and He will not clear the guilty. So the fullness of God is all the things we all loved about Him, and He will not clear the guilty. So when you're standing there next to him, you have to be able to go wherever he wants you to go. And it may be, you may be, you may agree with it. You know, every demon crowd needs to die. Or not. You may want everyone to be saved. 
And he said, not that one. Or you may be the other way around. You know, and he wants to save them and you want to, you want them to, to go away. I mean, how do you feel about uh, Nancy Pelosi? And he would say, no, not today. Or yes. And I'm telling you, the more I saw it, I, I keep, I'm, and I'm going to preach about it soon, I keep finding there are people who found that place next to him. There is a place next to him. David found it. It's a secret place of the Most High. There is a secret place of the Most High. Psalms 91. And he's been talking about it like this. Uh, there's more in the scriptures. They found that place. And when you're when you're there, I mean, it's amazing how free you really are. Free from you. Isn't that cool? You're free from you. And it doesn't matter what anyone does. And he's been trying to prepare me for that. I know he has. We're going to agree. And we're going to extend our hands over you mm-hmm. and ask. Ask for that right now. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Larry. Well, Father, we do agree. Yes, Lord. And, and I know, Lord, how you work with people. And yes, with a group Father. of people, you, you have leaders. And you bring the word to them so that they can share it with the others. Yes, Lord. You don't do this for one. You do it for all of us. Yes, so we can walk together with you. Yes, and so in the name of Jesus, Lord, I know you're calling us to this place. Yes, Lord. And I like what he has said about this place. I will not be shaken. You know, God, I've been wondering about that. Now I know. Yes, Lord. There's no shaking there. Yes. Everything else shakes. But in us, you're there. You have yes. found our place. We have yes. found our place in you. Yes, Lord. Wow. Yes. You would come down to a man. Yes. Yes, Lord. And proclaim all of God. Thank you. Father. All of God. Yes. Lord. Do it for these people. Yes. Do it for all of us. Yes. To whom the Lord shall call for this calling. Yes, Lord. This powerful work of God yes. to witness to the entire world Hallelujah. all that God is. Yes. And He has raised us up to be with Him and see Him like He is. Because we will be like him. Do it with your outstretched arm. Do it yes, with your mighty hand. Yes, Lord. And cover us all. Yes, Lord. Wow. So good. Hallelujah. It's so good. Hallelujah. Let us taste it, God, in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Let them taste it. They'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for it. And we agree that this is upon your people right now and that they will enter the door that you have opened before them. Thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, that every child, every grandchild may benefit from what these parents and grandparents are willing to do and walk with you, that it will go through their seed and their seed seed to the third and fourth generation of blessing. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Tomorrow night at 7. We just spilled the CD. <laughs> 80 minutes or. Did we really? We did.